Now it's time for the Disney View Podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, I had mentioned a couple of podcasts ago that I took a break and just needed a little time off from doing the Disney podcasts, and I took it, and then I said I might take some more, and I did. I was fortunate enough to get Gary on to talk about things we miss at Walt Disney World, which kind of made it fun and gave me another podcast to put out there. But in the meantime, I don't have a lot of new content that I've developed. I'm still taking a little break here and just kind of enjoying myself and got a lot going on. I will be continuing to do this podcast. Don't don't think that I'm stopping for any reason. It's just going to be a little slower for a while as I kind of develop new content and think of some, some things I want to talk about. So I always welcome any feedback, anything anyone would like to hear about specifically. Always happy to hear about that. Well, in the meantime, I did take a trip up to Walt Disney World a couple of weeks ago, and I wanted to provide sort of a trip report, sort of a recap of some of the things that I saw and uh, some things that are going on. So if you'll indulge me for a little bit, I'll give you some updates on some of the things that were happening. So I'll start off with some of the uh, modes of transportation and the way things work sort of outside the park. I do like the fact that now there's the uh, bus schedule posted at each one of the uh, most of the bus stops around the Walt Disney World Resort. So if you're standing outside by the bus, there's a screen that displays when the next bus will be coming to these different destinations. And that's really pretty cool. So if you look at your watch and it's 10.05 and it says there's there's a bus that should be here about 10.32, you're like, great, I have a half an hour. I can go wander off and go look in the gift shop or something and come back, or I can just sit down and wait and play with my phone for a little bit. So it's kind of a nice little feature. I'm seeing them pop up more and more, and I really like that. It really does help. Because the one problem I always had was, you know, you're sitting at the bus stop and they're supposed to be every 20 minutes or so, but you don't know when that 20 minutes started. Did I just get here after a bus came? Am I going to have to wait the 20 minutes? Or, you know, sometimes buses get delayed for various reasons. Uh, They have to unload a a person who needs special assistance or uh, maybe there's a traffic tie-up for some reason and it takes a little longer. So you don't know all the time. They try to make it every 20 minutes, but it doesn't always work that way. So it was really nice to see that as I was traveling around to different places. So that was kind of cool. Another thing that I wanted to mention was about the way that they've evolved security so that you go through security at different points before you get on the monorail generally. So the monorail now is a more protected vehicle. Now, there are a lot of reasons for this. One is, of course, that it's up on a, on a rail like that, so it's hard to evacuate people and hard to get things out if something were to happen. And the other reason is when they changed their categorization to be a mode of public transportation that's uh, guided by the same rules as buses and planes – they have to follow certain security precautions as well. So it took them some time to implement those security precautions so that people are safer when they're on board those things. Now, you can't obviously, you can't get to the pilot, but you, you are on board a craft that, uh, that is secured in a similar way. So they move the security checkpoints out further. And that means that if you're leaving one of the resort hotels that's on the, on the loop, you have to go through security before you get on the monorail. And then again, if you're at the Transportation and Ticket Center, that's the place where you park your car then you have to go through security before you go through and actually are able to purchase tickets. 
and then you go on to uh, the monorail from there. So it's they're securing it down in a very different way so that you've got the ability to, uh, to search through uh, people's possessions. Now, I did notice a couple of things here. One is that uh, I was traveling alone. So every time I'd go through security, I got targeted to go through the metal detector. Good, bad, or indifferent, I'm happy to do it. It's not a big deal. It's, it's an easy thing. You know, you get your bag searched, and then they go, excuse me, could you walk through the metal detector? So I did. But being the lone guy walking through, they pretty much stopped me every time to go through the, the metal detectors. The other thing is that when you come to the Magic Kingdom, so you take the uh, transportation around and you come to the Magic Kingdom, you come off the monorail and you go right into the turnstiles. There's no security there anymore. And that is actually kind of nice. That's hearkening back to a, an older time when, it, when things were simpler. And I have to say that I actually kind of like that because it kind of brings the magic back a little bit. There's something about coming off the monorail, or the ferry boat for that matter, and coming right up to the park and not having to go through security at that moment. You, you lose the security aspect of it and just walk right up and you're right in front of the, uh, the Main Street train station again. And there is something kind of nice about that. It's, it's kind of special. They've left the security tents up for now, but at least you can kind of walk right in. And I, I find that it brings a little bit more magic. Now, on the other side of it, I had a little interesting moment where I had to stop and think about why this worked this way. I was over at one of the other theme parks, but I had parked my car in the Magic Kingdom parking lot. Now, to come from one of the other theme parks to get to the Transportation and Ticket Center is a little tricky. You have to come back to the Magic Kingdom, then take the monorail back around to go to the Transportation and Ticket Center. And then you go out and you find your car. Now, there are other ways to do it, but that is the easiest way to do it. So I actually took the the, uh, bus back and uh, was sitting at the bus loop over by the Magic Kingdom. And to get to the monorail, I had to go through security. It was kind of odd and felt a little awkward. I get it because you're trying to get back to the monorail, so they have to protect the monorail. But it just seemed kind of weird that I had to pass through security to, as though I was going in the Magic Kingdom and then go back and go on the monorail. It was just a, just a kind of an interesting little twist there that I hadn't counted on because of the way that they set it up. Again, not a big deal, just kind of odd. Another little quirk, uh, I have my annual pass, and my annual pass includes parking. So every time I would pull up to one of the theme parks and want to park there, I had to take out my annual pass, they'd scan it, and I'd have to show them ID to go with it. So it was always kind of interesting to have to have to do both every single time I came up to the parking area. It just was one extra, you know, like step you had to take, and it was just a little bit of a pain in the neck. At one point, at one of the parking areas, I tried using my magic band. He goes, no, I need to see your pass. Not that it mattered really, but for some reason, this cast member said I had to show the pass. I don't know if that's consistent in the uh, process that they're using at this point, or if I just got unlucky that I got somebody who didn't know any better, but he wanted to see the actual uh, physical pass. So I was able to pull it out and, and uh, show it to him. So that was kind of cool. I mean, it was, it was, yeah, I get it. And I see why they're doing it. And I saw, I was kind of observing, you know, other people kind of having that same moment of, well, I have to dig through my wallet to find my annual pass and my ID just to get in. I noticed a couple of cast members that came up, the cast members can come up and just show their ID at the gate and they're allowed to go through. But, you know, they were scrutinizing those more thoroughly than I ever remember them doing that in the past. Now, again, it could have just been happenstance may have been uh, something that I just noticed. Uh, this time, but uh, didn't catch before. So one of those little things, not a big deal, just an interesting little side note. And now let's talk about some of the theme parks and some of the things that I saw. The Magic Kingdom, always a great time. Had a really fun time just kind of going in and out and enjoying some of the attractions they have. The classics, just kind of enjoying uh, what, what was going on there. I got there at a time when they were starting to decorate for Christmas time. So that's always kind of fun. There's a special nature to it when they start to do the Christmas decorations. The one thing I'd say about it is, though, the Christmas music playing on Main Street when the temperature's still in the 80s Fahrenheit, 
and you're still in the month of November feels a little kind of funny to me, but it's okay. I mean, I get it, and I understand you want to get that Christmas spirit going, and it's all good. I had a chance to walk over to Liberty Square and see the Muppet presentation that they do uh, over the Hall of Presidents in the area. Sort of a look, a whimsical look back in history. It's very cute and very clever, and I absolutely think it's worth spending a few minutes there. It's kind of fun. See Fozzie and Gonzo and Kermit and Miss Piggy and Sam the American Eagle, of course, having a little fun talking about American history. And given that the Hall of Presidents is still closed, it's, uh, it's a great opportunity to get that little nuance to American history while we continue to wait. I did get to ride on the Jingle Cruise. That's the Jungle Cruise's overlay with some Christmas thematic things. And uh, they have all new jokes and some new things that I had never heard before. So it was a really good time. I totally enjoyed myself and I had a very interactive skipper. So it was a lot of fun. I'll put a link to, I made a video. I'll put a link to that video on my show notes page. It's, it's a lot of fun. And if you get, don't get a chance to see it, it's a, it's a fun way to kind of look at it as a different ride. It was a very different attraction that day, seeing it as completely the Jingle Cruise. He had a lot of, a lot of one-liners and puns that I thought were pretty good. Turning to the studios, the one thing I really wanted to do was spend a little time looking at where Star Wars land lays out in the schema of everything that's there. And so I spent a little time kind of walking around, and you can see the new archway that they're building sort of between Muppet Vision and where New York Street used to be. So it'll kind of head into the Star Wars land. You can see the construction cranes. There's plenty of them. There are a plethora of them that are back there. And you get an opportunity to kind of see the, the buildings being constructed. And if you 
you know, have an opportunity to come, come around behind some of the backstage area because some of the buses go back that way. You can see a little bit more as they come around. And you get an opportunity to see sort of what it looks like and how it's coming together. Now, thematically, I'm not sure how this is going to work. You've got Star Tours in one area, and sort of behind it is the Muppet Vision 3D, and across from that is the, is the uh, Rizzo's Pizzeria, so that's the Muppet area. And then sort of to the right of that is the entrance to Star Wars Land. So the Muppet Vision entrance is kind of right by where, between where the Tatooine Traders is and Star Tours is, and where the, uh, where the entrance is to Star Wars Land. It's kind of a weird mix, and I'm not sure how they're going to overcome that. What they may do is they may open up back by Echo Lake, if you go around where the giant dinosaur is, and around by Indiana Jones, they may make another pathway that goes around over toward where Muppet Vision is, and then put a, uh, like a wall up on the side of Muppet Vision where you'd go into it today, so that way you, the only way to enter Muppet Vision would be around the other side over by where Indiana Jones is, and kind of cutting around behind where Star Tours is, sort of. It's the only way I can think that they could do it and make it work and make the thematics work. But I give Disney all the credit because I'm sure they'll figure it out. You just don't want to lose the aesthetics of it because you're trying to enter Star Wars land, but Star Tours is too far away from where it is currently. It's also entirely possible that the Muppet Vision attraction could close and be reopened in some other incarnation elsewhere in the park. That's entirely a possibility. It may fit better on the other side of the park over where the animation courtyard is. Perhaps they put something over where... They have the launch bay right now uh, at the end of where the uh, journey under the sea with the Little Mermaid is. Right at the end, there's the launch bay, and at one point it was the animation uh, area. Perhaps they'd put something more Muppet-oriented there, in which case they could take over that entire area of tract of land there where the Muppet Vision is currently and use that for more Star Wars-themed things. We'll see. I don't know what they're going to do, but I see that there's an opportunity to kind of switch the two because currently the, the Star Wars launch bay is fine for what it is, but once they start to open Star Wars land, I imagine they'll want to move that away anyway. We'll see what they uh, what they wind up doing. I think it's kind of an interesting little thing that they've got going on as they start to build out and uh, do some things. On the other side of the park, you have the Toy Story land that's nearing completion. It's getting very close. You can see that it's kind of coming together. There's a lot there. Uh, I believe they're going to open in summer of next year. You can clearly see that most of the buildings are done. Most of the infrastructure is done. You can see part of the Slinky Dog track. So you can see it's coming together. That looks very cute. Uh, I can't wait to see that open. I think it's going to be pretty neat. So the studios, you know, they're coming along. Right now, there's not a whole lot to see there. So really, at the moment, the main draw is Toy Story Midway Mania. You still have the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular, the Muppet Vision Attraction, and Star Tours, but... I don't know that they have the same compelling interest right now for most guests to go over to the park and spend you know half a day to a full day at the park. It's just not as interesting. There are some character meet and greets. There are some other things going on. But overall, I would say that it's kind of missing that oomph for now until they get all this stuff ready. You know, the Mickey's, uh, uh, the Mickey roller coaster that they're building in the Chinese theater, that's still under construction too. So there's nothing there at the end of the, of the, uh, of the park. You can, of course, if you've got little ones, you can see the Journey Under the, Under the Sea with the Little Mermaid or the Disney Junior Live on Stage show. And they're both, those are both cute, but they're not really compelling if you've, got, if you've got older adults with you. So it's kind of a, kind of a mixed bag right now, and I, you know, I kind of can't wait to see what they do there. Oh, I did want to mention, too, while they do still have the original entrance still open at this point in time for some guests coming from one direction, most guests are now taken around the back part of the park and taken around the outside, and this is why I was able to see this, the uh, Star Wars construction, around the outside of the park, 
and are actually taken to the parking lot from the other side. That will be the new entrance on the other side. So that's coming along. And you can see that there's a ton of construction going on behind there because of the Star Wars-themed hotel. And uh, as you leave the park and you head out toward the parking lot, you also notice that there's a lot of construction going on toward the pathway toward Epcot. And that's because of the new gondola system. You can see all the uh, construction they're doing there and some of the clearing that they're doing. So there's a lot going on in the studios right now. And for the moment, not as compelling for guests unless you want to see one of the shows that I mentioned or just want to go over there and kind of get the, the sense of what it's all about. But I think in a year from now, it's going to be a completely different story. And then in two years from now, it's going to be ridiculous. Uh, it's going to be so crowded, I'm sure, and people are going to just want to go there like crazy. Over in Epcot, I had a chance to do some of the Food and Wine Festival. And as always, it was good. It was good entertainment. It was a lot of fun. There was the Remy's Hide and Squeak again this year where they, you can find Remy in different places and put a little sticker on there. This year, instead of a pin, they were giving away a keychain. I didn't think it was quite as cute as the pin. So uh, I just went and did it for fun. I didn't, I didn't buy the, uh, the sticker to go do it. I just kind of found him at every one of the pavilions and just had a little fun doing it. But nothing, nothing spectacular there. It was the same Remy's that you've seen before. But very cute when you have to find him at the different uh, pavilions. Now, something I noticed was that it was very much more crowded than it has been at the, around the same time of year other years. There were many more people in the park, and some of the lines for some of the kiosks that were serving food were unbelievable. You could wait 10 or 15 minutes just to order your food. And it seemed kind of ridiculous to me. I think a lot more of the food was made to order or very special, you know, special requests kind of things, where in the past they were kind of prepared to a large degree in advance, and they had it queued up, and they were just able to kind of warm things as they needed to. In this case, in many of the kiosks, it looked like they were making it fresh. They were just making it as you were standing there. So, yes, the waits were longer, but actually the food was probably a little bit better than it's been in the past. So it was really enjoyable, a good time, got to eat a lot of different foods and kind of enjoy myself. The hardest part is figuring out how much food you want to eat. The, the food itself ranges in around the $5 range for each one of the dishes that you get. Whether you're getting the appetizer size tapa thing that you're, that you're getting or whether you're getting a dessert. So the question is, you probably could eat, you know, three of those as a good size meal, maybe four if you're a good eater. So the question is, how many things can you possibly eat over the course of a day or a couple of days? So you have to pick and choose the things that you're most interested in. And uh, I do recommend in the future, if you go, that you get one of the guide maps or you go and you uh, look online to see what the different dishes are at each, each one of the kiosks and kind of have a sense of it ahead of time so that you're picking the you know, four dishes per meal that you want to have. So if you're going to be there for the day, maybe it's eight-ish dishes you want. If you're there with other people, you might get more and share a little bit because you get an opportunity to try some more things. Though I did see a couple, one couple where there was one dish. I don't remember what it was. I think it might have been the loaded nachos at the Greek Pavilion, if I'm not mistaken. She was eating them, and he asked for a taste, and she said, no, this is so good. I'm eating it all myself. Get your own. And it was a classic moment of just, you know, it goes to show you, sometimes you don't get to try the other dishes. You kind of have to, have to do something else. But there were a lot of good dishes and uh, some very nice things. One of my personal favorites was the uh, trio of things that they had at the Greek Pavilion this year. And it was a, uh, a piece of grilled octopus, a stuffed grape leaf, and a uh, little bit of feta cheese that was mixed into like a, um, a, almost like a cheese spread. Uh, it, you know, it, the, the texture and look of it and maybe even the flavor a little bit tasted like pimento cheese to a degree. Nicely done. And it was a nice little trio of things. It was a little bit more expensive. I think it was like 7 or $8. But it was really pretty good. Uh, you know, it was totally enjoyable. And they had more 
uh, kiosks this year than they've ever had in the past. So there was a lot more things, a lot more offerings. Some of them were better than others, of course. You know, it depends on your palate and your taste. And that's why I say it's worth spending some time to look at the kind of things that you want to have before you go in so you can makes it easier to kind of walk around and kind of pick and choose some places that you want to stop. Now, on a more personal note, one of the things that I've always wanted to do, it's been on my bucket list. It's the most ridiculous thing. It's going to sound crazy to you, I'm sure. But it was one of those things where I was like, I have to do this. So the first time or the second time I went on Soren, I noticed that they told you if you're wearing flip-flops or Crocs or any shoes like that to leave them on the floor. And then when they'd lift you in the, in the chair, your shoes would stay on the floor. You'd fly over the Vista and then you'd come back and land and your shoes would be right there. And I was like, that's kind of cool. I have to try that sometime. Look, I'm a big believer and I like wearing sneakers when I'm walking around the parks. That's my thing. I like socks and sneakers. It's the most comfortable I can be. But if you know Disney, one of the things they tell you is you always have to have shoes on. So the fact that they're telling you effectively that you need to take your shoes off in order to enjoy this attraction, I'm like, dude, I am so there. So I had to actually plan up for this. Like I said, I like to wear sneakers and socks. So I actually brought a pair of Crocs with me, kept them in my bag. When I made it over to Soren, I actually sat down over by the Good Turn restaurant. Or Oh, sorry. That's the old name. It's the uh, Land Garden Grill. There's a little area over there. And I actually changed my shoes to my Crocs. Then went in to ride on uh, Soren and uh, sat down in the chair and kicked off my shoes. Something just, just so geeky and fun. It was like, oh, I'm, I'm so there. I have to do that. And I did it. And I have to say it was a lot of fun. It was just one of those things because I remember being a cast member and telling people at various times when you'd walk around, people would be walking around with their, without their shoes on and you'd have to remind them you have to wear shoes. So you'd, they'd put their shoes back on. And it just was kind of fun because they're telling you in this specific case, don't wear your shoes if you're wearing something that doesn't, uh, doesn't hang on your feet like that. So I had to do it. I just had to try it. And it was, it was just a remarkable experience. It was so much fun just having my shoes off and being on a Disney attraction and kind of enjoying it in a very different way. Like I said, silly bucket list item, kind of trivial to a large degree. And most people will go, yeah, all right. But now you know a little bit about me and kind of how I roll. I like to do some unusual things like that. So when the ride was over, put the Crocs back on, walked back out, went back to the same spot and changed my shoes back. <laughs> so that's what I did. And then I was able to walk around with my sneakers for the rest of the day. I'm much more comfortable in sneakers than I am in Crocs, especially when walking. But I love my Crocs for just kind of hanging around the house or doing some, you know, housework or whatever. Like when I have to go on a short trip somewhere to the grocery store or whatever, and I don't have shoes handy, I just throw them on. So they're great for that, but I don't like wearing them most of the time. So for me to be able to do that was just kind of fun. And I really did enjoy it. It was there. I know it sounds so geeky. I'm sitting here talking about taking my shoes off. Sounds ridiculous. I know, but it was, it was a lot of fun and, uh, and I got to enjoy that. And then I'd like to turn over to Animal Kingdom. I hadn't been in Animal Kingdom since Pandora, the world of Avatar, it opened. So someone told me the best way to see it was at night. So I actually went there at night the first night I was there and uh, went over and saw it. And it really is pretty remarkable. They do an, an amazing job of putting all this UV lighting up and lighting up these things. They seem very bioluminescent. Even the uh, floating... Uh, rocks that they have there, the way they look at night is really remarkable. They got some lights that uh, it, they, they illuminate it in a way that gives it sort of a special feeling. It feels like nighttime, but you can still see the edges of it. They did a really nice job of making it so that you could actually see it up there. And, you know, I'm walking around the land and I'm thinking, this is really pretty cool. I walked into the Satuli Cafe. I walked into the gift shops. Very nicely themed. A lot of fun. 
uh, you know, has a certain charm and atmosphere to it. And I really enjoyed walking around it at night. And I made a little video podcast of uh, what it looked like. I'll put a link to it again in my show notes page so you can see what it looked like. It was a lot of fun to kind of hang around and just kind of check it out to a large degree. But I also wanted to see it during the day. So the next day, I actually headed over again and checked it out during the daytime. And again, really nicely themed, well done to be able to see the vistas and the way they've set everything up and they've kind of give you the forced perspective and they make you feel like you're in a faraway land. Really, really cool. Now, I didn't ride the uh, Flight of Passage because the wait time on it was ridiculous and I couldn't get a fast pass for it. But I did ride the Navi River Journey and... You know, it's a hybrid of what you'd call, I guess, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean meets It's a Small World. It's cute. It's clever. The shaman at the end is very nice. But my problem here, and it's the problem I've got with the overall thematics of Pandora, is that I didn't like the movie. I think it's extremely well done. I think it's extremely well themed. But the nature of it is lost on me to a large degree because the movie didn't speak to me in any way. But that's just me personally. I think it's beautiful. I think they did a nice job. I do think it fits in the animal kingdom. You kind of go off when you come in the park and you go past the uh, the Tree of Life there. You make a hard left back to where Camp Minnie Mickey used to be. And you go back around. And it's so far removed from where Africa and Asia and Dino Land are that you really do feel like it fits in thematically with what they've done at the animal kingdom. And it really does work. It's mostly about a natural environment that's supposed to be on another world. Do I feel like I'm in another world? Not necessarily. It's clever and it's cute, but I don't feel like I've been transported anywhere. Some people might, but I personally don't, but that's okay. That Again, that's just me. I liked it. I really enjoyed it. I thought they did a remarkable job of the way they themed it up, and I, I think it was terrific. It just uh, doesn't speak to me beyond being this beautiful land that they've set up. Now, I did hear many people talking about the Flights of Passage. There was one guy I was talking to for a couple of minutes, and he said, you know, it's interesting. I came in this land and I was like, yeah, the land is nice, whatever. And yeah, okay, they got a ride where you can ride on a banshee. Yeah, whatever. And he goes, and then I rode on it. And once I rode on it, it was phenomenal. And I couldn't believe the imagineering they put into it. And it, it's worth the price of admission right there just to see that. And once you see that, it makes the world kind of come to life in a different way. Now, like I said, the wait times were too great and I couldn't get a fast pass for it. So there was no way I was going to see it on this trip. But I'll, I will see it at some point, and I'll, I, I kind of, you know, having seen the videos and knowing kind of what it's like, I get the sense of what he's saying, but I really want to check it out and try it myself and see how it kind of feels. So uh, I think that's, that's one of those things that I have to look forward to for a future trip to be able to ride on the uh, Flight of Passage and be able to ride the Banshee and see what that feels like. Uh, so I, I kind of look forward to doing that at some point when I have an opportunity. Yeah, maybe my next trip I'll be able to squeeze it in. So overall, really enjoyed it. Didn't love it, love it, love it, but I really did like it. In my own mind, I was kind of thinking when they opened the new Fantasyland at the Magic Kingdom a few years ago, I had that same reaction to it. I really like it. I like the way they've kind of created a theme there and they've done some things and it looks really nice and the aesthetics are good, but I don't love it. It's just kind of there. Um, but it's a really nicely done job. And again, like Animal Kingdom with Pandora, same kind of a thing. They created something that I don't love, but I really like. It fits in, it works, and it is really nice. Would I recommend you take a trip there especially to go see it? No, but on your next trip, if you have an opportunity to go see it, absolutely, go check it out. It's beautiful, and it is really, really nice. So it's it's worth seeing, and I was glad I saw it in both the day and the nighttime. It worked out pretty well. 
uh, I really did get a, did get to enjoy that. Now I did also get to see the uh, Rivers of Light show, and uh, the Rivers of Light is very clever. It's it's well themed. I think it's it's kind of nice. Uh, you know, it fits in with the Disney specter of you know shows that kind of tell a story in a way, in a in a cute cute sort of way. Um, there's nothing about it that I went, wow, that's spectacular. I want to see it again, but I did enjoy it. And that's the, by the way, in case you didn't know, that's the new nighttime show that they have, uh, over in the animal kingdom. And that's actually located, uh, near where, uh, you get into, it's tough to be a bug. Uh, there's an area there where there's a, uh, a big lake and there's some seating on the far side of it, closer to Asia, where you'll actually go and actually, where you actually sit and watch this, this, uh, water show that's going on. It's very clever. Very cute and very nicely done. I also got a chance to see the Tree of Life come to life, which was really pretty cool. Again, it's that same sort of projected image like you see in the Magic Kingdom on the castle, where they create two-dimensional images on a three-dimensional space. They're using the canvas of the castle and projecting images on it that make it work. Same thing on the Tree of Life. Very, very clever. You don't notice it's the Tree of Life when you're looking at it. It's just spectacular the way they were able to do these views. Animals jumping around and playing and doing different things. And the Tree of Life becomes a giant screen. And it's just so cool. Again, a piece of technology that blows you away. They've done such a nice job with making it work that it actually comes together and you go, wow, that's really, really cool. Now, during this trip, I did also have an opportunity to visit a little bit of Disney Springs. Now, the last time I was there, a lot of the retail area was not open. And this time it was. And I have to say that, wow, it's really nicely done, but it's like a giant shopping mall. And it's got every store you can probably think of. And they're laid out in a way that's kind of an interesting thing for the first timer going there. So as an old timer, I knew where the Disney Village Marketplace was, how it was laid out. It's like one strip with a couple of little uh, spokes that go away from it. Then you go into what was Pleasure Island. And basically, again, it's one strip with a couple of little spokes. And then you go over to Pleasure Island. I'm, I'm sorry. Then you go over to the west side of downtown Disney. And that actually had um, one strip uh, and really just a couple of places where you could go off again. So it was like one long pathway that you would walk along and you'd see almost everything. With this new area that they've created, it's like a giant outdoor shopping mall. And you can think of it like any town that you've been to where there's an outdoor shopping mall where there's a lot of different shops and restaurants and things. It feels a lot like that. So as you walk along, you're realizing that there's little cutoffs and different pathways and different things. And there's shops like in every inch of the space there. So, you know, there's a shop that, you know, has a storefront that's maybe, you know, 12 feet wide. And the next one is 15 feet wide. And it butts right up against it like you would see in any mall. But it's hard to keep track of all the shops and where one stops and where one ends. At one point I stopped and I looked at the uh, kiosk that shows you where uh, the directory where everything is. And I had that moment where I'm like, wait, so I'm here, but I don't see these shops that it's telling me that are here. Because the way they were oriented and the way they built the streets are kind of curved, it's kind of hard to find some of the shops that you may be expecting to find. So I think what they're trying to do is get you to get off and explore a little bit and see different things. But it's just a giant retail district. It looks no different than any town USA where you're going to an outdoor mall. There's lots of them around the country. In fact, many big cities, medium-sized cities, and even some small cities have a mall that's very similar and have some very similar things in them. Now, I know if you come from outside the country, you probably don't see the same shops and so forth, but it's just kind of like it's a big shopping district. There's nothing that speaks to me as it being Disney. There's nothing about it where I went, wow, that's really Disney. When you walk over toward the west side, you still feel that sort of Disney vibe. When you walk over to the older downtown Disney side, you have that same sort of, hey, it feels uh, very much like Disney. 
Um, that middle section where it used to be Pleasure Island, not so much anymore. And this new area, not at all. And it's just, I find that kind of funny. It's like, I look at it and I go, wow, I'm, I'm missing that Disney hook, something that makes me think it's Disney. It's not to say it's not nice and not approachable and sort of has a, an aesthetic beauty to it, but it just doesn't feel like Disney. It's a place to go and go shopping. And while that's relevant, I want to be away from my everyday life and go to Disney. I used to like going to the downtown marketplace because it was Disney-oriented shops that were different and just different enough and gave you that Disney hook, that Disney feel without going over to like the Magic Kingdom. And yeah, maybe that's the old guy in me the his, looking at historically and remembering what it was like, but this doesn't feel like that in any way. And again, not to say that some of the shops aren't nice and some of the restaurants are really good, but it just doesn't have that same sort of uh, hook to me that it really feels like it's something different. So that's just my take on Disney Springs and the way it's come together. Oh, but I do have to say that if you do drive your car, parking is really easy with the parking garages they have there now. And there's one surface lot over by where the uh, the movie theater and Cirque du Soleil is. So that's, uh, that's, still, that's still ongoing. So you've still got an opportunity to park easily. Oh, and as far as Cirque du Soleil goes, I did find out that they're still planning on closing the show on December 16th. They have not reached a new agreement. They don't have any plans to, uh, to get together on it. I think the two sides are too different at this point. They have too many different interests. So I think it's time for Cirque du Soleil to finally come to an end. So in my opinion, that's just the way it's going to work out. And yeah, that's the way it is. So, you know, we just ha- kind of have to deal with it a little bit. And I wanted to provide one more comment about the use of mobile devices, particularly cell phones, in the parks. Disney has kind of fostered this system where people are always looking at their phones. As I look around, I'm always looking and watching people. They're looking at their phones. They're looking for the next dining reservation. They're looking for the next fast pass. They're looking to see when their next thing is. They're looking at the show schedule. They're doing whatever. As they move from place to place, people have their heads down and they're looking at their phones. The thing about Disney is it's supposed to foster some sort of interactions with each other. You know, you go with your family and you're having fun and yet everybody's looking at their phones and it's kind of a weird mix of things that the way they do it. So even I was doing it and I intentionally decided not to use mobile ordering this time because I wanted to have that interaction with the cast member when I was uh, ordering food. I still enjoy that. I like doing that. I wound up talking to so many different people, just random people as I walked around to cast members. I had this one kind of fun conversation with this young lady who was here on the college program. And, you know, she kind of was similar to me. I I related to her because it was, we had a similar sort of experience at Disney, just sort of a random one-off conversation. And it was kind of fun. And it, and that's one of the things that I think people start to miss when they start to focus on their phones more and start to think about things a little differently. I did notice that in a few attractions, there's some interactive type things you can do, but on your phone instead. So on Soren, for example, there's a uh, mobile app that you can use. It, you go to this one website and it uses location based to make sure you're there and you join a team and you answer some trivia questions about where you're Soren to. And that's all fine and well, and you're taking up time while you're standing in the, in the line, but you're not engaging with the people around you. Yeah, you're playing as teams against other people, but it kind of takes away from the experience a little bit. And I guess now that is the experience. Maybe that's you know more of the millennial experience and I'm a little older and I think about it differently, but it's kind of weird because everybody's got their heads buried in their phones all the time. You know, I try and use mine sparingly. Yes, I try and do some video and I try and help out and I try and capture some audio and whatever, but I try to use it otherwise sparingly when I'm in the parks, I try to just keep it in my pocket because there's no reason to, to do it. Now, once in a while, when I 
when I do take it out, I'll sit somewhere. I'll actually take time and sit down and take a look at something. I try not to do it while I'm walking around. I try not to detract from anything else that I'm doing. So like I was saying, I was looking up if there was a fast pass available for the Navi River journey. And as I saw it, uh, I took it and whatever, but it didn't. So as I went and looked for fast passes a couple of times, it, I was sitting there and making a decision to do it. And I actually stopped and took time to do it. I sat down somewhere and enjoyed it. Sometimes you have to take in the experience a little bit more rather than using your phone as a device that you're just, you're putting your nose in constantly. We do enough of that as it is. I mean, I do enough of it when I'm not uh, in the parks and I try to take advantage of the parks the way they are and spend time with family when I'm there and kind of enjoy each other's uh, interactions and just have some fun with it. And speaking of talking to people, I got a chance to chat with Jim. He's the Main Street Pianist. He has been at the Disney parks. He's been at the Magic Kingdom forever. He uh, was one of the original cast members. He was there and uh, doing the uh, piano at the end of Main Street pretty much since the park opened. He's a heck of a guy, really nice person. Um, I know him. I, I got to know him just a little bit when I was a cast member. You know, as a guest, before I became a cast member, I'd see him all the time. I'd say hello, um, you know, just engage in short conversations and whatever. And enjoy listening to him play. And then as a cast member at some point, I actually uh, got to know him just a little bit because I saw him backstage occasionally and would chat with him. Not much. Again, you know, not a whole lot of interaction, but just got to know him just a tiny bit. And on each subsequent, yeah, on each subsequent trip when I walk down Main Street and it happens to be during the daytime he's playing, I will always stop and talk to him. He's a heck of a nice guy, and uh, he's got a lot of interesting perspectives on things uh, relating to uh, Disney and so forth. It's, not, it's nothing that's earth-shattering. Oh, look, he's a longtime cast member, and he loves being there. So there's, you know, he, you're not going to get anything interesting and really earth-shattering out of him, but he's fun to talk to. He's a really nice person, and he'll talk to you about a wide range of things, and he greets everyone, and he's just so pleasant. It's one of those things that really makes Disney Disney. It's, it's uh, another special thing. So take the time to go by and say hi to Jim the next time you're at the Ma Magic Kingdom and walking around by Casey's Corner. Well, there you go. That is my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View Podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company.